You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Did you sense it? Did you sense during worship? I mean, it just, it just seemed like it's so good, right? Because you work on a sermon and you're, you're hoping, this is what God is telling me. I hope this is what God is doing at the church. And it, it was just palpable that God is calling us to newness. He's calling us to change. And I think there was even, there was even a sense of, this is going to cost me something. This is going to be risky. This is going to be uncomfortable, what God is doing. But I feel like I'm on the edge of it, and I feel like God is calling me into it. And I hope that's where you are, and if not, hopefully that's where you'll be by the end of this sermon. Um, it's been an interesting week for me because I, I, I knew I was preaching, and this Sunday is going to be Chris Gaston, the Gastons, who are over there, trying to hide in the back. The Gaston's last Sunday at RCC before they take off. They're going to Colorado. And um, real quick, what? whoop, they're leaving. They're cheering for you to leave. They're cheering for you to leave. Almost 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago, uh, a mutual friend uh, introduced us. And so I was, I was hiring a new salesperson and... Uh, Kevin Finn, actually, who we had just started working together, meets Chris Gaston and says, oh, you need to meet Tom Rossi. Now, Tom, now Chris at the time was working at the City Rescue Mission. So he was dealing with, you know, people coming out of addiction and things like that. So, but Kevin tells him, you need to meet Tom Rossi. He doesn't tell him because Tom's hiring somebody. He just says, you need to meet Tom Rossi. So Chris comes in to meet with me, and I think I'm interviewing him, and he thinks I may have a drug problem. <laughs> and so, needless to say... It was, it was an awkward time. Um, but for years now, we've, we've been friends, and, and uh, our families have grown up together, and so he is leaving. And this has put an interesting challenge in my life. And uh, it's, it's much harder for me to express emotion than it is for me to teach. So I'd rather teach on uh, how I believe God is doing new things, and God is calling us to change, and why it's so hard, and what God might be saying to me <laughs> that I need to learn, that I think is applicable for all of us. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump right into the passage. God, we, um, we do, we want to be led into deeper water. We want everything that you have for us. We don't want to stay on the shore. We want to be able to experience more of you. We want people to be set free. We want to be the instruments that you would choose to use to do that. Help us to get beyond ourselves and to experience you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a passage this morning, and the context is important. The context is important for for what's happening in this situation. So Jesus' ministry, is, his public ministry, is, it's just starting to take off. He's just starting to really get out there and do different things. And he's just healed the leper. But he didn't just heal the leper, he touched the leper. He didn't just, he didn't just zap him from, from a distance, but he touched him. So he healed him, but he did it in a different way. Because at the time, for, to touch a leper would be to unclean. Spiritually, it was a bad thing that you would have to go through religious process and stuff. But not only does he heal him, but he touches him. He healed an invalid, but he didn't just heal the invalid. He forgave his sins. He didn't just say, you're healed. He said, your sins are forgiven. So he's doing things, but it's very different. And then he comes across Levi. Levi, also called Matthew, the tax collector. And he comes, comes across him and he preaches his message of repent. He says, Levi, repent, follow me, change direction. A tax collector, tax collector, Jewish, but works for the Roman government, right? Not really popular, 
considered more of a traitor because he's working for this oppressive government, even though he's Jewish. But Jesus comes along to him and he gives him a a call. He says, repent, change direction, come, follow me, leave what you know. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, Levi was given the option from a a, a religious person, comes into his life and says, there is another way for you to live. There is a new way that you can live. Come, follow me. And you know what Levi does? He gives up everything to follow him because that's what it means. He would have to give up everything to follow Jesus. He would have to give up this wealthy position that he was in to follow him. And Levi, who maybe never had that option, he takes it. And you know what he does? He throws a party. He says, guys, he goes to all of his friends. He says, you know what? You've got to come here, this guy. You've got to come here because he told me things about myself that, that are incredible, that God might actually love me, that there might be a way for me to live differently than I've ever lived before. Come, come to my house. He's going to be there. Come to my house and meet him. Who do you think his friends were? Who do you think were the people that came to Levi's house? More tax collectors. More sinners. More people that were far off that could never believe that God cared about them. That could never believe that there was a way for them to experience God. That there was a way for them to come to know God. They had always been on the outcast. They'd always been on the outside looking in. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious teachers of the day, they were not happy, right? They were perplexed. They were confused. They're like, this is different. We thought you were one of us, Jesus. We thought you're, you're a teacher of the law. You're a man of God. Why are you hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? What is, what's going on? There's a confusion. And so this is where we come to in Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees and the teachers, well, they start asking him questions. What the heck are you doing? Why is it so different? And they said to him, John's disciples, John's disciples often fast and pray. John, John the Baptist, your cousin, he was calling people out to repentance. He was out at the river and he was calling people into repentance. We got that. We understood it. That was a good thing. We were in line with him. He was, and he had his disciples and they were fasting and they were praying. We liked John. John was a good guy. His disciples, they fasted, they prayed. And so did the disciples of the Pharisees. I get that. But yours, the people that are following you, you know what? They're eating, they're drinking, they're dancing. It's footloose in here. You can't do that. Why is it different? I was at an 80s prom last night and I had footloose on the brain. Um, what, what? You can hear the question in their voice. Look, I understand what John the Baptist was doing and I understand what we've been doing for years, but what you're doing is so completely different. They're eating and they're drinking. Dude, we're fasting twice a week because we're righteous. Dang it. Why aren't you righteous like us? Why aren't you doing it? Look how hard we're working to show our righteousness are right living with God, to be right with God. Look at the things that we're doing. He gave us commandments, but you know what we did? We, we even created some new ones because that's how righteous we are. But you're eating and you're drinking. What's going on? And he said to them, Jesus answered, 
Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? This is the first time in Scripture the Messiah is never referred to as the bridegroom. But Jesus brings in this kind of terminology. Look, I'm like the bridegroom. What's the bridegroom, the groom, who's about to be part of this incredible celebration? They would all understand a wedding celebration was incredible, even more incredible than it is now. It would go on for days. It was a massive party. It was a massive time for people to be able to get together, to eat, and to drink, not to fast. And he says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast. There will be a time to fast, but not now. Not now. Now is a time for celebration. Now the ministry of the Messiah is one that is, it's likened to a celebration. But they don't get it. And Jesus, knowing that they don't get it, he goes on to this parable. Starting in verse 36, he says, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. If you're going to try and fix an old garment, you can't just rip a patch off of a new one and put it on the old one, right? Because now I've ruined the new one and the old one. The old one looks ridiculous and the new one's got a hole in it. Otherwise, you'll ruin them both, okay? And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Okay, we don't, not a lot of us carry our wine in wineskins, right? We carry it maybe in boxes. Can you buy a box of wine anymore? I don't know. Can you buy a box? Okay. Um, but you can, you can. There's people that still put their wine in boxes. All right, great. Um, but in the day, they would put them in a wine skin, which was, was uh, an animal skin. And what would happen is if it took, went through a fermenting process and it hardened, and once it hardened, you couldn't put new wine into it. If you did, it would, it would bust. So they understand this. And he says, no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. Jesus is doing something radically different, radically new, and he's trying to get across to them. You cannot fit what I am teaching into your way of thinking. You cannot just take what I'm teaching and patch the way that you're thinking about God, the way that you're thinking about the ministry that the Messiah is accomplishing. This is a new message, and the Pharisees, they're upset because he's not forcing his disciples to fast. And Jesus says, I haven't come to just give you new regulations on fasting. I haven't come just to add a few new rules about how you can be righteous. He is something entirely new that won't fit into their paradigm. It's not a reformed version of an old religion. He's not reforming Judaism. He's not saying, look, you, do, yeah, you guys almost got it. You just need a, a few little things. He makes it clear that he hasn't come to patch an old system because that's as foolish as taking a a patch off of a new garment and trying to patch up an old one. It's as foolish as taking new wine and putting it into old wineskin. It cannot be contained in an old way of thinking. The old forms of Judaism could never contain the spirit of Jesus' message. What was his message? Why was it so different? What was going on? The, The message of Jesus, the gospel... The gospel of Jesus, that he was going out and he was preaching that Levi, that changed the direction of Levi's life, was this, that the rulership of God has drawn near in, in the most powerful manifestation ever in Jesus. In all of history, the most powerful manifestation of God has occurred in Jesus. 
the rulership, the availability of God's reign in our life is now at hand, that we all can have it. To everyone, to Levi and all of his buddies who thought they were far off and outcasts, here comes Jesus with the message of, you're not, you're not. Why? Because I'm doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness. I am making, I'm waters coming out of a desert. That's how different it is that I'm doing. The new message of what he's bringing, the free availability of God's rule and his righteousness to all of humanity through reliance on Jesus. A righteousness that comes not through our ability to adhere to a set of rules, not through our own good works, but one that is given to us freely through faith. This is an entirely new concept, a righteousness that comes not through how many times you fasted this week, a righteousness that not, not comes from, they would literally, they had scripture like uh, strapped to their body, right, to show how righteous they are, that, that they would know all the commands of God. And he says, There's, this is a new message. Righteousness now comes through faith. Peace with God that comes through the work of Christ. Righteousness, right living with God that comes through faith, not through our works. It's given to us freely. But it does, the cost isn't free. God just chooses to pay the cost himself. In a world that says that a, a leopard can't change its spots, right? In a world that says you, you, that person is never going to change. Why are, you, why are you messing around with Levi? He's a traitor. A leopard can't change his spots. He's always going to be that way. He's always going to look out for himself. He's always going to worry about money. He's always going to, that's his first love. He doesn't care about anybody except himself. A leopard can't change his spots. Jesus, why are you wasting your time? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Jesus, what are you thinking? They will always be that way. You cannot, they, they've been doing it for too long. You need to go find some youth. That's, that's, where, that's where maybe you can make a difference, Jesus. But at this point, these people are lost. You can't teach an old dog new, new tricks. But the gospel says, you can be a new dog. <laughs> you can be new. Yeah, I'm not going to try and teach an old dog new trick. I'm going to make him a new dog. <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> maybe that didn't work. <laughs> I heard that the gospel means I'm a new dog. Yeah. Jesus offers real transformation in his message, real change. So much so that he tells Nicodemus, right? He says, it's like, it's like being born again. It's so new. It's not, you're not the same. You're born again, born fresh. He tells a woman at the well that a time is coming and is now here when we will all be able to worship in spirit and truth. We won't have to hide anything. And you don't have to be in a certain place to do it. This is a new message. This is different. The old wineskin of believing that if I obey, God will love me. The gospel, the message comes and says, because Jesus loves me, I can obey. Instead of being about what I do, it's about what Jesus has done. Instead of an uncertainty about my standing with God of where, where, where wait, I had a bad week, so God must be mad at me. Instead of an uncertainty of, oh, I missed, I missed my, my fasting or I missed this thing, there was a certainty that comes with the message of the gospel which says it no longer matters what you do, it matters what Jesus has done. It's certain. The gospel is an event that occurred in history. Jesus came and he made a way where there wasn't one. It happened. It's an event that we can look at with certainty and say, I no longer have to experience the uncertainty of knowing how God feels about me. It's settled. God loves you. 
He's expressed it in Jesus Christ. He's expressed it on the cross. He's made a way so that it no longer matters the things that we do. Instead of pride because of my good works, instead of experiencing the pride that the Pharisees, who said, look at us, we're fasting and we're praying. What's going on with you, man? You think you're righteous? Are you as righteous as we are? I don't think so. Instead of a pride that comes from our good works or a despair like Levi, I'm never going to be like those guys. I'm never going to be like them. We receive the love of God in a way that's independent of what we've done. And with that comes a humility. That I couldn't have earned it. I couldn't have done it myself. We experience love and humility. Very different. New. Do you see that? Do you see how different that is? And we struggle with it today. We struggle with it even now as we think about it. It's like, well, gosh, even in our churches, you know, we we tend to teach from an old wineskin. This is a struggle for us, but this is the gospel. This is the newness that God was doing. And here's, here's an important point. God's character and his nature is to do new things. Always. He's always doing new things. He's always doing new things. The prophet Isaiah, he says it like this. He says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is always doing new things. He's not interested in keeping the status quo. He's not interested in keeping us comfortable. He's not interested in keeping us where we are. He finds us where we are, but he calls us to change. He meets Levi, and he just doesn't tell Levi, God loves you. Watch what I do. He says, no, God loves you. Follow me. Repent. Change your life. Follow me. Experience what I have to offer. He's committed to an entirely new order of creation. This is the bigger picture of what God has been doing since the beginning of creation. God has been doing a new thing and he's been setting people free to worship him. The bigger picture of what he's been doing, all the way back, you look at Abraham, right? He calls Abraham out of his family and sends him to a new land to start start a new nation and gives him a new name. God is doing new things. Peter, right? A fisherman, pretty good career, going okay. And he comes and he says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he, and, he set, and he sets him up as the leader of a church, his church. And he gives him a new name. Saul. You see where this is going? Saul. He's on his way to Damascus. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's got it down, man. He knows the law. And he's out there chasing down those crazy Christians. And Jesus meets him. And what happens? He goes from being the epitome of a Pharisee to being a minister to the Gentiles. Paul, Saul, becomes Paul. He gets a new name. And now he's actually ministering to those people that he looked at as outcasts, those people that he thought were never worthy of hearing about God because they weren't even Jews. They're Gentiles. Do you see how radically new that is? And again, new name. God is constantly doing this. The Bible's filled with God doing this. New things, changing direction, changing leaders, changing processes, and changing people's names. I just think that's funny. I think there's a lot to a person's name. I think that's why he does it. 
Because by, in doing that, he's saying, I am making you new. So new that you need a new name to contain it. The character and nature of God is to do new things. But if we're not open, we're going to miss it. If we're not open to those new things, we're going to miss it. That's why Isaiah said, do you not perceive it? Don't you see that God is doing a new thing? Don't you see what God is up to? Why? Why wouldn't we? The last verse in that Luke passage, he tells them about the wineskin, right? And then what does he say? And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. No one wants the new wine. They, li- they like the old wine. Why? Why do we need new wine? The old wine's doing me just fine. The old is so much better. And we fall into this paradigm, don't we? We say things like, oh, those were the days. So it was so much better. We have like selective memory, right? We do. We do. Oh, you remember when River City when used to be at the city rescue mission? Oh, those were the days. We forget about like the, the ceiling tiles that could kill you at any moment. <laughs> we have these... <laughs> My daughter, my daughter last week, she said, she introduced me to somebody and said that I was 16 years old. And I said something like, oh, I wish. And then I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, I don't, sorry, any teenagers, but no, I don't, I don't want to go back there. Okay. But we have this selective memory about the good old days. We have selective memory about what it was like to go back to the old. We resist the new things naturally. We don't want anything new. Can't things just stop changing can't my friends just stay here? Like, I kind of like the way things go. I know what to expect. Do they really have to leave? You know, in business, there's actually an entire science called change management. This is the study of leading people through change. Why? Because we don't like change, and we need a science to help us get through it. (laughs) We resist the new. Why? Why do we do this? couple reasons I can think of. Comfort. We're creatures of habit, right? We're creatures of habit. This is the way we've always done it. This is Jesus. We've always fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What's going on? We've always done it this way. I'm comfortable with lunch with the Gastons after church on Sunday. I know what to expect. I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with my routines. And you know what? My routines, they're pretty much automatic. I don't even have to think about them. I just do them. I'm comfortable with that. But change jolts us, right? Change jolts us into consciousness. It actually makes us think about what we're doing. It forces us to see what we're doing and to make adjustments. That's not comfortable. That does not sound good. I don't want to be jolted. I don't want to think. I just want to have things go the way they've gone. Comfort is one of the things that keeps us. Loss of control, right? Ultimately, we think we're in control. We don't know, a good Christian, no, I'm not in control. No, God's in control, ha, ha, ha. But we live in such a way that we think that we're in control, right? We live in such a way that we think and we operate. We create this illusion around us. We subscribe to this philosophy of of, I'm in control in the way that we, we act, Until what? Until something happens that shows us we're not. Until something happens that shows us we're not in control. Saul had a nice career, man. 
his Pharisee paycheck was clearing just fine. His, 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 his career tra- trajectory was awesome. He was killing Christians. They loved it. He was doing all, and he was finding them too, you know. He was going after them. But then God shows up and changes him. He thought he was in control. He thought he knew what the next step was. He thought he knew what would happen next and then after that and then after that. Loss of control. Uncertainty. This is a big one. Uncertainty. Why do we resist the new? You would think that we would all want change when things are bad, right? You'd think when things are bad that we would want change, but we don't. Even when things are bad, we would rather live in misery. We would rather live in misery than accept new things or change. Why? Well, because at least I know what that looks like. But that's uncertain. What you're calling me into is uncertain. I would rather live with the certainty of the misery that I have than the uncertainty that you offer me. That's deep down. This is, this is where we are as people. The story of God has been freeing people. The story of God culminated in Jesus, continues today by the power of his ministry and his spirit. God frees us so that we can worship him and we can enjoy him forever. So comfort, loss, or comfort, control, the certainty of what to come. God, guess what? God doesn't want any of that for us. He doesn't want any of that for us. Why? Because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free to enjoy him, to worship him, and those things get in the way of our ability to do that. He doesn't want us to be comfortable. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to become more and more like him every day. Why? Because that's how we experience life the way it was designed. That's how we experience a life to the full. He wants us to be changed. Yes, we're made new, but we're also being made new. It's one of the the crazy things about what God has done. Not only are we made new, but we're being made new every day. God is working inside of us, that he's changing us. Without change, growth is impossible. It's impossible for us to, to grow more like Jesus without change. He doesn't want us to think we're in control, right? When we create this illusion of thinking that we're in control, he doesn't want that for us because who's in control? He is. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to be free from that illusion and delusion. He wants us, he wants us to be free from fear. He doesn't want us to live in the fear of unknown, the fear of uncertainty. He doesn't want us to be stuck in in misery because we're afraid of the unknown. He wants us to be free, to be able to engage, to be able to be brave, to be able to step out into the ocean and not be worried about the waves, not be worried about the circumstances of the change. He wants us to be able to trust and abide in him, right? We've been talking about for weeks, this idea that we would trust him, that we would abide in him. How does that happen? Well, when we give up the illusion of control, we have no choice. He wants us to live free from the fear of the uncertain. He wants us, to, he wants to be our anchor. This is an important thing. When, when, when things happen, when change happens, when change comes, it makes you realize what your anchors are. What are the things that are stable? What are the things that are, that are, that are always going to be there? What are the things that are always, that are constant? And guess what? There's only one. There's only one. 
But we create all these other ones. We think that we have all these anchors, but when change comes, it makes us think about what are my anchors? What are the things in my life that won't change? God wants to be our anchor, our only anchor, because every other anchor is going to let us down. It's not really, it's just dragging on the ground. That's a, does that doesn't work as a boating analogy? Because I'm not, okay. That's what God has for us. I believe that's what God has us as a church. Right now, new things he's calling us into, new things he's calling us into individually and as a church. Will we get past all these challenges in our flesh to be able to experience them? Will I be okay sending off my friends next week? Or am I going to, you know, struggle with it? Or am I going to seek him and trust and abide in him? Let's stand. This morning, I believe God is calling us not just to a new way of life, but a new kind of life. Right? This isn't, this isn't just patching the way that we live our life. This is a new kind of life. One that is empowered and led by trusting in the Spirit of God. He's the helper. He's the one that is sent to lead us in this process. He's the one right now that's calling you into those deeper waters. He's the one, not me. Not me. I'm just, I'm just trying to soften you up a little bit so that he can do his work. But he's the one that's got to do it. So let's pray right now that he would reveal to us what those things are. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you loved us enough that you would personally get involved and that you would make a way in the wilderness, that you would pay that great cost to set us free, that you would bring this message of righteousness that comes through you. And I pray that we would be able to receive it new this morning. And we want We want to be open to you. We want to be changed. We want to become more like you. And so we pray that your spirit would find us working with him, not against him. We we pray that your spirit would find us willing to receive and to hear from him, Lord, whatever it is that you have us, whatever new thing that you are calling us into, God, that we would hear from you clearly this morning, we pray.